Good morning and welcome to San Diego First Church of the Nazarene podcast. My name is Dee Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And what a wonderful joy it is to be with you today and to dig into God's Word together. We are located at 3901 Loma Land Drive in the Point Loma area of San Diego. And we would love to have you come and join us for Sunday morning services or midweek programming. But if your needs are such that you um, want to be part of our online offerings, we are thrilled for that as well. A reminder to those who might be interested, this next Sunday, um, December 12th, our children's musical will be done in the morning at 1030 in the Greek Amphitheater on the campus of Point Loma Nazarene University. It's an outdoor setting, so wear a coat, but I think you will find it is just a delightful presentation of the good news by our choir, which is about 80 children, and we would love to have you come join us again that Sunday, December 12th, at the Greek Amphitheater on the campus of Point Loma Nazarene University, which is right next door to our church on Loma Land Drive. Well, we are in the Advent season and looking at some of the Advent readings. Before we get into the Advent readings for this morning, I'm reminded of the wonderful stories of Christmas. And part of this season is telling those stories in a variety of ways. One of the things that I like to do is to think about those who were in the setting um, of the scripture story and what their story might be like if we knew more about it. I don't want to pretend that Scripture tells us all of the details, but when I think about my journey and the journey of people I know, excuse me, I think of what their journey might have been like once they had come into contact with Christ, how Jesus might have changed their life from that point on, portions of the story that we don't know. Well, this morning, as part of Advent, I'd like to give you one of those readings that is in the context of the scripture but goes beyond the scripture in imagining what it might have been like to have been an individual in a particular setting. And this is the story of the innkeeper when Mary and Joseph, who went to um, Bethlehem for the census, what it might have been like for him to have received them as guests. So the context for this comes out of scripture And it's in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register for the census. So Joseph also went up from the town of of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because that's where he was from. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So here might have been the experience of the innkeeper in that setting. So there I was, tending to the dozens of guests at my inn late one night, milling about doing my usual routine. Need another pillow? Want something else to eat? I'd ask my visitors. But this night, something was different. The guests at my inn, which was Bethlehem's finest, were whispering and chattering with excitement in their voices. 
One guest even made sure to point out how bright the North Star was above us. Never had I had so many guests at the inn, and I was about to pass out with exhaustion, but just as I had that thought, I heard a knock at the lobby door. Another guest? I questioned. There simply wasn't a way for me to take another person into my humble hotel. I put down the plates I was carrying and went to the door. There on the other side was a couple who I didn't recognize. The man, who introduced himself as Joseph, pointed to his wife on their donkey and talked so fast I could barely keep up. He said his his wife Mary was pregnant He must find a place to stay, and he was running out of time before their son was to be born. Well, I knew immediately that this man, and particularly this woman, were in need of help, but where could I put them? I simply didn't have a single bed to spare, and I couldn't just ask some of my high-paying customers to give up their rooms for this poor couple. What would they write in their reviews of my inn? Surely I wouldn't get five stars. (laughs) But it wasn't just not having the room. I was worried that I might have to help in the delivery of this baby, and I certainly couldn't do that. Plus, they needed to be somewhere peaceful, not among drunken night owls in my inn. I I wanted to help. Truly, I did. But the best I could do was scratch my head, apologize for not having a room, and point them to the hillside where there were several caves. Some of my shepherd friends would take breaks there while tending their flocks. I knew it wasn't much, but at least it would allow them to rest, unbothered, until maybe I could find a doctor the next day. I apologized one last time and sent them on their way. As I crawled into bed that night, I was overwhelmed with concern for the young couple. In the midst of my exhaustion, a peace came over me that I had never felt before. I don't know how to describe it. It felt like, well, I guess like love and joy and maybe excitement all rolled into one. I learned the next morning from those same gossiping guests of mine that Mary had her son. She named the child Jesus, a name I knew I would never forget. The news traveled fast in my inn and to the corners of our town. From time to time over the years, I'd hear stories about Jesus. He indeed was special. I tried on several occasions to find him along his journeys and tell him how I met his parents as he was about to be born, But as my inn grew more popular, I never was able to get away. Perhaps God brought the small family of three to my doorstep as a reminder to me that I must help others in the future. From then on, I never turned away anyone who needed a place to stay. Well, I don't know if that's how it happened with the story of Mary and Joseph and the innkeeper. I know some of those details were taken straight out of scripture, but how it played out in the course of that innkeeper's life, we're not completely sure. What we do know is that the life of Jesus transformed everyone with whom he came into contact. When we read this morning's lectionary readings, we are aware of this building storyline that leads up to the birth of the Christ child. The background, if you will. I will read two this morning. 
The first comes from Luke chapter 3, and the reading goes from verse 1 through verse 6 and contains a quote from Isaiah 40. Here is Luke chapter 3. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Euteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. And then another lectionary reading from Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. See, I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire. This one will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have two very interesting readings here that speak of the day of the Lord, the day of God, the day of um, the Lord Almighty. And it speaks of those who will prepare the way. The reference in Luke chapter 3 to John the Baptist and what John the Baptist did in preparation for the coming of Jesus. But there are some interesting pieces here that I would like to explore briefly this morning. The first is that Luke takes great um, effort to describe to us all of the context of what was happening during this time. He names all of the rulers. He names all of those who are in power. How interesting is it that he goes into such detail not only of the political powers, but the religious powers, which in fact are also political powers, those who are in charge, those whose decisions and rules and regulations place such requirements on the people that they find it difficult to live, to function, 
At least that's the implication of what's said in Luke chapter 3. This long list of people, from Tiberius Caesar to the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, and all the levels of power in between. There is no doubt that part of the storyline here is a storyline of expectation that the Messiah would be one who would upset the power structure and reclaim for Israel their rightful place. To be under their own rule, to be in charge of their own destiny, to allow God to rule over them completely once again. Well, it's not as if God has left. God has allowed things to take place, but God is still in charge. But the writer indicates all of this power structure in setting up the coming of the Messiah. And without a doubt, the expectation was that when the Messiah would come, things would be set right. Things would be transformed. The power structure changed so that those who were in power ruled righteously. But those expectations, they, they had with them an understanding of what the people thought it should be. Not what Christ came and did. Certainly Christ upset the power structure, and certainly that which followed Christ changed the ways in which we have viewed power forever within the light of Jesus's life and teachings. But it wasn't exactly as they had expected. When we look at the Malachi passage and the passage in Luke, we are probably reminded of some of the beautiful music of the Messiah. And probably where you are located, there are opportunities to hear the singing of the Messiah, the wonderful music written by Handel, who made popular so many of these passages that we read during the Advent season. Songs that come right out of these passages and teach us both of the majesty of Scripture and also of the expectation of the people during that time. Well, what about this day of the Lord Almighty? That day which is coming. Well, there is no doubt that the people in Malachi had their own expectations and that certain things took place where Malachi was speaking to them in their time, a hopefulness that there would be a ruler among them during their time that would bring about change. Writers of the New Testament look back and the church since the New Testament has looked back and realized that there are passages that seem to have um, a message to us about the coming Messiah. We believe the fulfillment we find in Jesus, the Christ, the one whose birth split the calendar in two, the one whose life, whose death, and whose resurrection provides for us salvation and hope in eternal life. And so when we look back on a passage like Malachi, we read it through the lens of having known Jesus and the storyline of Jesus and the work of Jesus in our life. 
But when we think about the story that leads up to this, the story of the Israelites, we realize that there is, um, throughout Scripture, story after story of those who were in power and did not rule wisely. The hope when we speak about one coming in the line of David is the hope that there might be one like David. Not that David was perfect in every way, not that David was the Messiah, but David's rule was marked with a level of righteousness and justice that certainly exceeded the others who preceded and followed him. And so the hope that someone would come like David to rule. But this day that's coming, the things that would be made right, it's so different than the ways in which we think of judgment in the past. Judgment in the Old Testament seemed to come in harsh forms, even though if we look more closely, we might find merciful forms. The evilness of humanity that resulted in the great flood seems like a harsh way to begin things again with the human race, but it speaks about the horrific ways in which people were treating one another. And the only way to bring an end to that was to bring an end to the sinfulness, for humanity had set their hearts and their minds on destruction toward one another, on a self-serving approach. We find again in the story of um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, a civilization or a group of people whose approach to one another was so horrendous, using and abusing one another, that destruction came. It's woven into the fabric of God's creation that we destroy ourselves when we live so selfishly that others become a commodity. We put things over people. We put our own gain and success over compassion and a heartfelt desire to help. And so again and again, the seeds of our own destruction are found within that. But we have the day of the Lord Almighty coming where it feels like there will be judgment that is marked by what happens when the Messiah comes. And yet, as Jesus comes, we find that something different takes place. Jesus, the one we call the Messiah, the Christ, comes and judgment looks very different. Judgment results in Jesus' death on a cross. Judgment results in lives transformed. Jesus brings about a change in our hearts as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in those who are willing to have the Holy Spirit dwell within. It changes our posture toward others. It changes our posture toward grace and mercy. It, posture, it changes our posture toward community. It calls us to a place where we value one another, where we value people over things, where we value the community 
and what it means to hold community together and to care for one another. It is a judgment where grace is rained down on humanity. Where grace transforms, it is a judgment of mercy and love. It transforms us. It is the Christmas story. I would like to offer one more possibility of a conversation that might have taken place in heaven. The coming of this announcement of a Messiah who will change everything. It's based on another one of the wonderful Advent readings. It's the one where we are told that there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I wonder what it might be like for that angel that had the opportunity to share that good news. Maybe, just maybe, it went something like this. I'd been hearing rumors that a big announcement was about to happen and that a very special messenger was going to get the assignment. But when I received word that my Heavenly Father wanted to see me, whew, I had no idea that I would play such an important role. How can I serve you, Heavenly Father? I asked. Right then and there, I knew it was time, and my heart filled with excitement. Though no specific instructions were given, I knew exactly what to do. I stretched out my elegant wings and soared toward earth. I knew from past assignments that when God commands a message, the details aren't always given up front. As I sped toward earth, I had no idea where to go, so I did what I'd always done before. I followed the little sparkle that appeared from time to time in my peripheral vision. It's the Holy Spirit. If I see the sparkle in the corner of my left eye, I fly to the left. If I see it on the right, I fly to the right. This is how I knew the way. After flying through deserts, mountains, and villages, the Holy Spirit led me to a little town, a, a very common town, actually the outskirts of the town. This made me wonder whether or not I was in the right place because I expected something, well, a little more grand. But my doubt, doubt melted away when I saw the shepherds going about their chores, covered in shimmering, sparkling light. I paused to watch them. They were doing the mundane tasks of shepherding, guarding the gate, tending to the strays, and simply keeping watch over their flocks. But somehow they made the mundane sacred. I could see gratitude in their posture, purpose in their stride, 
compassion in their heart. The heavenly haze surrounding them told me they were the ones who should receive the message. I spread my wings and allowed the glory and majesty of heaven to fill the sky. <laughs> I could tell right away that I'd frightened them, so I immediately spoke. Do, do not be afraid. I bring you the best of news. This is news of joy for everyone. Today, your Savior has been born, the Messiah. You will find him in the town of David, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I didn't know God had sent any others, but suddenly a multitude of heavenly creatures joined me and pronounced the glorious nature of this amazing event where the Creator's greatest love touched creation's greatest need. This time, the shepherds weren't frightened at all. Instead, you could see they were filled with awe and peace. The Father always amazed me, entrusting the most precious of gifts to the most unlikely recipients. But in these moments, I had no doubt that this small and unassuming group of shepherds would somehow ignite a fire that would spread throughout the world. Well, my hope is that this morning you will hear the good news, the good news of the Messiah, and that in you would be entrusted the special spirit that changes our perspective, our understanding of power, our appreciation for community, our love for others, our acceptance of ourself, and our recognition that God has forgiven, that Jesus, through love, has provided a way for reconciliation and peace, and that that might be yours this morning. Give yourself to Christ. For Christ has given himself to you. And may your love abound more and more because you recognize that God's love abounds more and more beyond anything you could ever imagine. Grace, love, peace. Lord, may this be your day, your week, your month. May we be your children our lives given to you. Forgive us of those ways that have separated us from others and separated us from our true self. Instead, Lord, may we shine with your image that's stamped deep within as your children. And may we, like the shepherds, ignite a fire that spreads throughout our community. Thank you, Lord. Amen. May God's peace be with you.